This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 11th of December. So Norman, let's talk about vaccines today. And I want to talk to you about a couple of different vaccines. But let's start in the UK, where thousands of people in the last couple of days have received the Pfizer vaccine, which is really exciting. But one of the things that we've heard about is that a couple of people have had an anaphylactic-like reaction. So how worried should we be about that? Well, people have been discussing this risk with the Pfizer vaccine because it uses a substance called PEG, polyethylene glycol or macrogol. And what this substance does in vaccine, and there are a couple of vaccines that use it, I think one of the meningitis vaccines, meningococcal vaccines uses it, is that it kind of separates out the components in the vaccine and enhances the immune response. So essentially what you've got is um, you want the, the strongest immune response that you can possibly get here. And the polyethylene glycol helps that to happen. So that's what that's about. And so it, it does rarely cause anaphylactic reactions. Interestingly, as Pfizer says, that they didn't get anaphylactic or aller- allergic responses any more in the placebo, in the, any more in the active group than the placebo group in the trial. But you know, these people certainly sound as if they got an anaphylactic or anaphylactic type reaction within a short period of time after the immunization. So you'd have to say it was the Pfizer vaccine that did it. So you're saying that they did have some reports of these sorts of reactions during the trial, but they didn't think it was caused by the vaccine? Yes, and theoreti- and people knew there was a theoretical risk of that because PEG is known to cause anaphylactic reactions in some people, rarely. It's also used as a laxative. It seems like a very versatile substance. Yeah, it knows how to do its jobbies. <laughs> Well, while we're talking about allergic reactions, can we talk a bit about egg allergies and why we still hear that if you've got an egg allergy that maybe you might not have certain types of vaccine? It's a misleading story that's got into the general public where they believe that if eggs have been used in the manufacture of a vaccine and you're egg allergic, you're going to get an egg allergy. It's not the egg itself, it's the embryo within the egg that they use or embryonic cells within the egg that they use to actually make the vaccine. Influenza vaccine is the one which commonly uses eggs to culture the vaccine. And it doesn't contain the yolk. It basically contains little or no egg allergen. So it is a bit of a myth. So vaccine allergies are actually extremely rare. I mean, some people argue that it's like one in 1.4 million doses. What GPs are advised is if you've got a very egg allergic child, then when you've immunized them with a vaccine that uses egg, then you just keep them in the surgery for a little bit longer just to make sure they're okay. But a lot of these vaccines that are being developed for COVID uh, don't have eggs anywhere in the process. They're using all sorts of different new processes. Yeah, and the Novavax vaccine uses insect cells to produce the vaccine. So lots of different cells used. Can we quickly talk also about China's vaccine, which came out really quickly and it's sort of, they were reporting quite promising results, but there's been some news reports in a Taiwanese news outlet saying that 47 people in Uganda who'd had the vaccine have now tested positive for coronavirus. How much stead should we place on this news report? Around about zero would be my estimate here. (laughs) You know, it's, it's a newspaper report. Might be true, might not be true, might be misleading. They could have been part of a trial. They could have been in the placebo arm of the trial. Who knows? And it's complicated by the fact that no doubt Taiwanese, the Taiwanese media just love any story which knocks the Chinese technological supremacy off the pedestal. So you've just got to take all that with a pinch of salt. It may be true. 
but um, you know, really what we've got to do, the Chinese have not done themselves a favour by not doing transparent trials, at least yet. And um, so we just don't know what's going on there. And in that sort of darkness, stories like this pop out and they just don't do the Chinese any favours because the Chinese are pretty good researchers, although there are some clouds hanging over some of their vaccine manufacturers' allegations of fraud in the past. Well, let's talk about transparency of data around vaccines because the AstraZeneca vaccine, the Oxford vaccine, did the the announcement by press release that we kind of criticised a week or two ago and they've now released their full results in The Lancet. What do we know now that we didn't know before? Nothing much more, really. A little bit more clarity on why they, get, you know, there was just a dosage problem where they gave the half dose and, um, you know, just in terms of how they monitored viral particles and so on. So we know a little bit more about how the problem arose, which is actually a nice problem to have because it seems to have got an enhanced immune response. But in terms of regulatory approval, it's still unclear whether or not the data are strong enough to know that the right dosage regime for the Astra vaccine is a half dose followed by a full one. So who knows? We're not any clearer except to say that the paper and the press release tie in with each other. Nobody was misleading, I should say, in the press release. So is the AstraZeneca vaccine the only vaccine that's actually had its results published in a journal so far? Phase three study, as far as I'm aware, yes. But, you know, by the time somebody listens to this coronacast, one might have come out. But the, in terms of phase three studies, it's the first one to come out. Yeah. So when we're weighing up the vaccines, how does the AstraZeneca vaccine compare to something like the Pfizer vaccine that's being rolled out in the UK? Well, we, we don't know yet because we don't know the right dosage. So if they're right that the half dose followed by the full dose gives you 90% effectiveness, then it's in the ballpark of the Pfizer vaccine. And it's much, much easier to administer because it's just in a standard fridge. And the, uh, so those logistical problems don't exist and it's a fraction of the cost. So the Astra one will really take over the market. The only thing you'd say about the Astra vaccine, which is what we don't know, is if you need a booster a year or two later, it's not clear whether or not that booster will work because you might have developed antibodies to the chimpanzee virus. That could be the downside of the Astra vaccine down the track. But I think what all of us want is for everybody to get covered with a really well-functioning, safe vaccine that doesn't bankrupt the country. And Astra will fill that, the Oxford vaccine will fulfill those requirements. And uh, what happens down the track? Well, if it does develop antibodies, you could always have one of the other vaccines. There's going to be plenty of vaccines in a year or two. So the vaccines are giving us the glimmering hope of perhaps returning to something like normal. But we asked you earlier this week, if we had our time again in 2020, what would we have done differently? And heaps of you guys sent in some really interesting insights. Peter says we should have kept at least one of the cruise ships like the Ruby Princess here and used it as a quarantine base. Well, some people were suggesting using cruise ships at that time. I just think that they went a bit on the nose after the Ruby Princess and the Diamond Princess. But um, a good suggestion, except that what you would want on a cruise ship is everybody who's positive would go on the cruise and people who are negative would stay on shore or you would have a negative boat and a positive boat. But because of the propensity of viruses to spread in a cruise ship, you just need to be careful that um, so might, you might have Ruby Princess COVID-19 and Diamond Princess COVID negative. Uh, Tracy is making the point about aged care, which we spoke about in depth yesterday, but she says, we saw right at the beginning of the year in countries like Spain, where facilities were deserted and many died, that these settings, these aged care settings were a hugely risky environment. Why didn't we see it coming? 
Well, some aged care facilities did. Um, there was one in Queensland who developed a very detailed plan. They actually gave it to the Commonwealth, to the Aged Care Safety and Quality Commission, and it was ignored. It wasn't put into practice. There were other aged care organisations who did the same thing. But this was just a failure of implementation at Commonwealth level. Costa's making the point that he would like to see reg- organisations that regulate virology institutions insisting on investigating the Wuhan Institute of Vi- Virology. But Costa's talking about the theory that perhaps the virus escaped from this facility there's no evidence that it did escape from that lab, is there? There's no evidence, but but equally it could have. I mean, it is a possibility, but a very a very remote possibility. When you look at the genetic tree, it's more likely that um, it's it came from bats. But nobody, it's kind of proven negative. You can't prove that it didn't come from the lab. It is possible they were doing gain of function tests studies, which means that they were fiddling with coronavirus a couple of years ago to see if they could see what made a coronavirus turn into a pandemic virus. So they were doing those experiments in collaboration with the US scientists. But that was a different genetic structure from this coronavirus. And one last one from Ashley, who's saying, Norman, I was moved by your insightful wish for a more cooperative world. And Ashley offers a quote from Dr. Carl Jung, who's also a physician, saying, we need more understanding of human nature because the only real danger that exists is man himself. He is the great danger and we are pitifully unaware of it. Couldn't agree more, Ashley. Pandemics, the biology of a pandemic is the least important part of it. It's how we behave that creates a pandemic. Ashley was a bit kinder than my sister who messaged me saying, did Dr. Norman Swan just wish for world peace? (laughs) I'll keep that one to myself. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today and this week. Thanks for joining us. And if you want to ask a question or make a comment, keep those ideas coming in about what you've done differently and uh, what you're looking forward to and to go to abc.net.au slash coronacast click on ask a question mention coronacast and we will see you on monday see you then